Well, thank you, Graham and Lily and Bryce, Avery and Edie for leading us in worship today. And we do praise the King of Kings because he is the one that deserves all of the honor that we could give to him because he's the one who offers us hope that goes beyond the grave through his own resurrection power. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to look with me at John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. As I preach to you this message, your son lives. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. I'll give you just a moment to find your place there in God's word. John chapter 4, verse 43. The Bible says, Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household. This is again the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. In this passage, we see Jesus perform a miracle or as the Apostle John liked to call it in his gospel, a sign. John knew that the miracles Jesus performed, even as great as they were, were simply a sign that pointed to something even greater, namely Jesus himself. Before we dive deeply into the verses that we just read, Allow me to give you a reminder of the reason 
that John wrote what he wrote in his gospel. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, the apostle John wrote these words. And truly Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. The reason John wrote down everything he wrote down in his gospel is so that people would believe in Jesus himself. Not just in what Jesus could do, not just in the words that Jesus said, but that Jesus himself is the truth. In this story, we see John pointing directly to Jesus through his recount of this miracle. Here's the main truth I want to focus on today. We are to believe in miracles, but we're to trust in Jesus. When Adrian Rogers preached through the Gospel of John years ago and took a look at all of these eight signs, these miraculous works that the Lord Jesus did, he would point people back to this truth that I share with you this morning. We need to believe in the miracles. They actually happen. But more than believing in the miracles, we need to trust in Jesus himself. I want you to note three reasons that we're to trust in Jesus from this story. The first is this. Jesus deserves real honor. The first reason we're to trust in Jesus is because Jesus deserves real honor. In verses 43 through 48, we see what it looked like for Jesus, the miracle worker, to be in front of a crowd of people. After teaching in the Samaritan city of Sychar for two days, where many people believed in him as the Son of God, Jesus went back to his home region of Galilee. People around Galilee knew Jesus because he had grown up there from the time that he was a toddler and had returned from Egypt all the way into his adulthood. This was a region that was small in geography and in population. There were quite a few small towns scattered throughout Galilee. Even though people came to believe in Jesus as God's son in Samaria, in Galilee, people knew Jesus as Joseph the carpenter's son. And that's how they thought of him. They had witnessed him do some miraculous signs in Jerusalem at the festival. But they just thought of his works as neat party tricks, not as the purposeful revelation of God to man. Word had spread about him healing sick people. Word had spread about him throwing the money changers out of the temple. That was a scene. Word had spread about him turning water into wine at a wedding feast in Cana. And though they received him in Galilee, as verse 43 says, they were not giving him the real honor that he was due. They came out like curious observers 
to watch a circus, not as spiritually thirsty people in need of living water that only he could offer. In fact, earlier in our study of the Gospel of John, back in chapter 2, we noted what it was like for people to have a real faith in Jesus and a pretentious faith in Jesus. Some people just said they believed in Jesus because they liked what they saw, they liked what they heard, but they didn't really listen to what he was saying or perceive what he was doing. They were just there as part of the crowd for the excitement and the thrill of the moment. They didn't truly want to follow Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They had received him in the eye of the public, but privately in their hearts, they had not truly trusted in him. Evidently, when Jesus returned to Galilee, word had reached the ears of a man who had a severely sick son. He had heard about Jesus healing the sick. John did not give his name, but he did give him a unique title. Verse 46, a certain nobleman. The word nobleman in John's day and time referred to a royal official of some kind. He may have been a Jewish leader. He may have been a Roman official residing in Galilee. More than likely, he had some type of tie to Herod's household. Herod, who was the tetrarch, the ruler of Galilee. The only occurrences of this word nobleman in John's entire gospel are right here in verses 46 and 49. John called him a nobleman for a reason. And you know the reason people called noblemen noblemen is because they were noble men, right? Uh, we've heard the phrase before in our culture that they're a good old southern gentleman. Anybody ever heard that word gentleman before? There are certain things that you perceive about gentlemen. Ways that they carry themselves. Certain things they say and don't say. Certain things they do and don't do. In Jesus' day and time, noblemen were in the high class of society. They had money. They had power. They had a reputation, and it preceded them wherever they went. When noblemen came into an area, the proverbial red carpet was rolled out for them so that they would be welcomed with pomp and circumstance. Notice that when Jesus came back to Galilee, this great miracle-working teacher that he was, he received no such official welcome. But this nobleman was used to receiving a welcome like that. This nobleman, when he came to Jesus, comes to Jesus in desperate need. We're not exactly sure how sick his son was or what his son was sick from, but his son was at the point of death. Maybe, as a nobleman, he had exhausted his family's connections. 
I'm sure that as one in high society, you knew the best doctors. I'm sure as one that had some wealth, he had spent the money that he could trying to obtain a cure for his son. But nothing he had done worked. And so he came to Jesus imploring him to come down and heal his son. And this is an interesting picture if we think about it, isn't it? A nobleman from high class society coming to a carpenter's son. The lowest of the low, Jesus, who grew up in the poor little town of Nazareth, whom everybody said was an illegitimate child because his mother had gotten pregnant before she was married. This nobleman is coming to Jesus, saying, I need your help. You know, there's certain things that Southern gentlemen just don't do. One of those things is dropped to their knees before somebody who doesn't have as high of a reputation or position in society and beg and plead for a favor from them. But yet this is the picture we are to have in mind when we read this story. You think of the gentleman that comes to your mind in our own little towns of Walnut Ridge or Hoxie. Someone who has respect because they live their life in such a way that they have earned respect. Someone who may have a good business. Someone who may have some money. Someone who may have a name. I want you to picture that person dropping down to their knees and begging and pleading someone to help them. This is what this nobleman was doing. He implored Jesus, the text says, to heal his son. And Jesus answered him, but didn't just speak to him. He spoke to everybody else in the crowd who was there. You see, if anybody deserved honor when they came back to their home region, it was Jesus. He's God's son in human flesh. Yet the only reason people are coming to see him is because he looks like a freak in a circus. He's been doing these miracles no one can explain and teaching with authority that the Pharisees and scribes do not have. And Jesus said to this man and to everyone who was there, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Jesus wanted to cut through this nobleman's facade that he had made for himself. Jesus deserves real honor. And this nobleman couldn't just come to Jesus as a nobleman saying, Jesus, I deserve you to do this for me because of my reputation and my position and my wealth. Because of who I am. Jesus is trying to help this nobleman understand. You come to me not because of who you are. But because of who I am. Folks listen to me. If we're not careful. We can get in a real, real bad spot. When we approach the king of kings. We can come to him in worship. We can come to him in prayer 
And we can do things like this. Even if we don't say it out loud, we can have these attitudes in our hearts and our minds. Jesus, aren't you so glad I showed up at church to worship you this morning? Jesus, aren't you so glad that I got up on the stage to play the piano or the guitar or to sing to you this morning? Jesus, aren't you so glad that I got up here behind the pulpit to preach your word? Jesus, aren't you so glad that I showed up on time and that I sat down in this pew? That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants real honor. And people who really honor Jesus don't come to him saying, Jesus, look at me. They come to Jesus saying, Jesus, I see you. Jesus, I want to honor you. This nobleman had to act unlike a nobleman. He had to come before the Lord Jesus in real faith. And Jesus wanted to cut through the crowd and cut through this man's facade and bring him to the point of genuine faith. And that's really what we see the nobleman do in verse 49 and 50, isn't it? The nobleman said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Come down before my child dies. It's like this plea of desperation. He's not waving money in front of Jesus' face. He's not threatening to have Jesus arrested. He's begging and pleading, You've got to do something, please. And that's when Jesus simply said to him, Go your way, your son lives. I want you to notice in verses 49 and 50 a second reason that we are to trust in Jesus. We're to trust in Jesus because he deserves real honor, but we're also to trust in Jesus because he offers real hope. He offers real hope. You know, we go to the doctor sometimes thinking maybe they can tell me what's wrong with me today, right? Well, sorry, we've ruled out these things, but you're going to have to come back in a couple more weeks for a few more tests. And then when you call the schedule, it ends up being a couple more months. And then the doctor goes to Destin on a beach vacation. And then it's a couple weeks later and you sit in the office for six hours, only to find out that after a few more tests, we're still not exactly sure what's going on here. Those are tough moments. When Jesus told this man, go your way, your son lives, he was offering this man real hope. I mean, understand what's going on. We don't know the exact details of their conversation, but we do know that this nobleman's son was sick to the point of death. Jesus didn't just say, your son's going to get better. What were the words Jesus spoke to this nobleman? Your son lives. I mean, that'll give you hope, won't it? Jesus didn't even have to diagnose his disease. He just said, your son lives. That's what that man wanted to hear more than anything else in the world. 
He didn't want to hear from one of their local doctors in Galilee. I think this is it. Take this medicine and maybe you'll see some improvement in a few days. He just wanted his son to be okay. And this is the hope that Jesus gave to him. And notice it was just by the word of his mouth. Go your way. Your son lives. The man didn't have to drag Jesus back to his house. He didn't have to watch Jesus lay hands on his son and pray over him. He simply believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went back his way. He took Jesus at his word. He was expressing real faith because Jesus had offered him real hope. Do you remember what Jesus said just before he told this man that his son lived? In verse 48, Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Jesus was calling this nobleman to live his life differently than the crowd around him. Jesus was pointing out, you guys have to see stuff with your eyes before you're going to believe it. Jesus didn't show this man that his son lived. He simply told this man that his son would live. This nobleman had to take Jesus at his word. But Jesus was the only one who really offered him hope. I want you to listen to me and understand something here today. There are a lot of people in this world that live their lives thinking or saying or praying, God, if you will just do this, then I'll believe in you. You guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe even some of you here this morning. Lord, if you'll just do this, I really will follow you wholeheartedly. That's not how God operates. God offers us hope. The prospect of a better future that we cannot see right here and right now. And when he offers us that hope, we either have to take him at his word or disregard what he said. This is how faith in the Lord Jesus works. He offers us hope that we can either grab onto or not take. This man chose to take hold of Jesus' word. And he simply started walking back home. Could you imagine the thoughts going through his mind? When Jesus said, your son lives, like, are we going to have two more weeks of this sickness? Or is he going to be better as soon as I get home? When Jesus said, your son lives, is he going to be okay for a couple days and then get sick again and die? I don't want to think about that. I've heard the stories of Jesus. He's done all kinds of wonderful things for people. He told me my son would live. He challenged me to trust him. I've taken him at his word. I'm going back home. Jesus offers us real hope. And he's to be trusted. Because here's what happened when that man walked his way back home. Verses 51 through 53. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, 
What did his servants say? Your son lives. Let me ask you this question. Had these servants been with their master in Galilee when Jesus said, your son lives? No. Can you imagine how this man felt when he heard his servants say those words? The same words Jesus had said, your son lives. What do they walk up to him saying? Your son lives. Don't you think, don't you know, don't you realize that in that very moment, that man went, oh my word, Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. He told me my son lives. Now they're telling me my son lives. And so it kind of gets his mind to going. And you know, if, if you've got a sick son and he's been at the point of death, and somebody tells you, hey, he's all better, you know, my first inclination would be, well, how, how is Mordecai doing? Is, how is Branch doing? How is Nason doing? The man is not concerned about his son anymore. He knows Jesus has healed him. The man wants to know more about Jesus. So verse 52, he inquired of them, when did he get better? They said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever that he had just left him. And the father, he couldn't look down at his Apple watch. They hadn't been invented yet. But I'm sure he went. That's the same exact time that Jesus told me he lives. And I want you to notice what happens the end of verse 53, the father knew it was the same hour which Jesus had said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. This is different from what happened in verse 50. In verse 50, it said the man believed the word Jesus spoke to him. But now in verse 53, it says that he himself believed and his whole household. Not only did this man just listen to Jesus' word and hope for the best, this man truly came to believe that Jesus was the Christ, God's Son. And this is the third reason that we're not just to believe in miracles, but that we're to trust in the person of Jesus. It's because Jesus has real power. Jesus deserves real honor. Jesus offers real hope. But Jesus also has real power. And this man expressed real faith because he knew that Jesus had this real power. John notes at the end of this story that it's a second sign that Jesus did when he came out of Judea and into Galilee. There are times... In this life, that the Lord promises us something from His Word, and we have to take Him at His Word. We have to exercise faith and believe what He said. And have you ever done that before? You believe in the Word that the Lord gives to you, and then weeks, months, maybe years later, God makes good on His Word, and you go, no way. 
You've been praying a long time that God would take care of this need. And God answers your prayer requests and you're like, that's unbelievable. This is what happened to this man. He believed the word Jesus spoken. That's why he went home. But when he realized his son was better, the exact moment that the Lord Jesus said, your son lives, all of a sudden, his faith blossomed into fullness. He didn't just believe that Jesus was a miracle worker that could heal sick people. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one of God, who had come to give the world more than this man had ever expected. And this is what Jesus can do. Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again to give us real hope that goes beyond the grave through His own resurrection power from the dead. And that's why He's deserving of all of the honor and the glory that we could ever give to Him. Have you come to the point that you truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is your faith one of those kind of things? Lord, if, if you'll just do that for me, then I'll believe you. Listen to me. Jesus has real power. And one day, those of us who have truly trusted in Him are going to see it in all of its fullness. You know, there's sometimes on this earth that we face some real difficulty. We pray for someone who's dealing with cancer to be healed so that they can live longer. Sometimes the Lord grants the answer to that request when they do. They're with us for several more years. Sometimes they pass away, even rather suddenly. Sometimes we face difficulties in this world. A child has a debilitating disease and we pray for them, ask God to heal them, and we Pray that God would provide them with the right doctors and people to take care of them and treat them. And sometimes the Lord answers that prayer request by providing that child with exactly what they need. And sometimes the remainder of their short life is just a very real struggle. But did you know that there's a day coming for all who have placed their faith and hope and trust in Jesus? When we'll see the fullness of the Lord Jesus' power. There's a day coming when all of those beloved saints, those who have died in Christ from cancer and heart attacks and car accidents, their bodies will be raised up out of their tombs. Will be with the Lord Jesus forever in heaven. He rose again from the grave, and those who have placed their faith in Him will rise again to new life, never to die again. Jesus has real power. Those kids that we've been praying for and watching suffer will not have to suffer any longer. Just as Jesus brought them into His lap and blessed them in the gospel accounts, 
so he'll welcome them into heaven. No more pain, no more disease, no more illness, no more hardship, and no more heartache. Jesus and his real power will love them totally and completely. Nothing will ever be wrong with them again. This is the real power, the real hope that Jesus offers, and it's why he is worthy of the honor that we give to him. We are to believe in miracles, but we need to trust in Jesus. And so here's my question for you this morning. Do you truly trust in Jesus? Do you truly trust in Jesus? Now listen to me. Some of you have have been praying for God to do some amazing things. Some miraculous things. In your life. In the lives of other people around you. Keep praying. God can do whatever he wants to. Whatever he wants to. But don't just look for a miracle. Look for the Lord Jesus Christ. Miracles point to Him. They're simply a sign that shows us something greater. As great as the miraculous works of God are, they are not as great as He is. Do you truly trust in Jesus?